think the children will dismiss at this time. Be aware that uh, next Sunday we were speaking about our uh, Thanksgiving dinner and uh, also that we will have special guests here who will be uh, conducting the service next week. And so uh, let's, uh, let's keep that in mind. And as we were encouraged to uh, invite and bring others to be a part of that special service as, as well as the, the Thanksgiving meal. And so in light of that this morning, I wanted to share with you a little bit about the idea of thanksgiving and and the idea in relationship to what is the condition of our thanksgiving how, how are we in relationship to giving thanks unto the lord psalm 107 verse 1 says this oh give thanks to the lord for he is good for his love and kindness is everlasting and then psalm 92 1 through 4 says this It is good to give thanks to the Lord and to sing praises to your name, O Most High, to declare your loving kindness in the morning and your faithfulness by night with a ten-string lute and with a harp, with a resounding music upon the lyre. For you, O Lord, have made me glad by what you have done. I will sing for joy at the works of your hands. We have... So many things to be thankful for. Uh, That passage talks about, I'll be glad for what you've done. I'll be thankful for what you've accomplished. I'll I'll give praise for for the works of your hand and what you have done in my life and your ministry and your work and your service. All of us are called to be thankful and to give thanks unto the Lord. As we think back about the beginning of our nation, and uh, and what we often refer to as that first Thanksgiving when the pilgrims and the Indians and those gathered together, we think back to the beginning of our nation. Uh, there was a, a gentleman who was a very important leader uh, and organizer of the Mayflower Voyage in 1620. His name was Robert Cushman. And Robert Cushman was serving as the chief agent in London for the Leiden Separatist Contingency from 1617 until 1620 at the time of the voyage. And later, he was the chief agent for the Plymouth Colony until his death in 1625 in England. And he wrote a letter. It's a very, very long letter. I'm not going to read the whole letter, but I do want to read just a portion of it for you this morning for us to gather some understanding of his, his state of mind and his heart and where he was. To my loving friend, my most kind remembrance to you and your wife. With loving E.M., whom is in this world, I never look to see again. For besides the imminent dangers of this voyage, which are no less than deadly, an infirmity of body hath seized me which will not in all likelihood leave me until death. What to call it, I know not, but it is a bundle of lead, as it were, crushing my heart more and more these fourteen days, as that although I do 
the actions of a living man, yet I am but as dead. But the will of God be done. Friend, if ever we make a plantation, God works a miracle. Especially considering how scant we shall be of vigilance as much of all of our ununited amongst ourselves and devoid of good um, tutors and regiment. Violence will break all. If I should write to you of all things which promiscuously forerun our ruin, I should overcharge my weak head and grieve your tender heart. Only this, I pray you prepare for evil tidings of us every day. But pray for us instantly. It may be the Lord will be yet entreated one way or another to make for us. I see not in reason how we shall escape even the gasping of hunger-starved persons. Now, I know there's a lot of old English in there, and that's a little bit hard to, to follow and to understand, but the bottom line is this. Robert Cushman was desperate in life. Robert Cushman had reached a point that he felt there was no hope. There was no future. He said, prepare to receive evil word of us. In other words, bad news every day. He said, I I don't think we even have enough food to survive. We're starving. And he added to that that he has some new infirmity that feels like a lead weight on his chest. That feels like a burden in his life. And he said, while I go through the actions of someone is living, he said, I, I'm as, as if I'm already dead. I think about that message from someone who began with such hope. Such hope of a, a new country. Such hope of a, a new freedom and a new nation. Putting together the, the search and, and the, all the efforts of the Mayflower and those that would sail to, to a new place. And he was greatly involved in that and very influential in that. And it's evident, though, that he was overcome with distress and fear and uncertainty of his future. And so those, those feelings and those emotions robbed him of his joy, robbed him of his ability to be thankful to God for what he had received and what he had been blessed with. And so what I want to encourage today is we live in a world that oftentimes we're overcome with a lot of distress. We're uncertain of the future. We we don't know what tomorrow holds. Sometimes we face health problems like like Mr. Cushman spoke of here. Sometimes there are other issues, a loss of someone that we love and we care about and, and that has been important to us. And on and on the list goes. But what I want to encourage is is that we not be overcome with distress or discouragement, or the difficulties of this life or this world to the point that we cannot be thankful for what God has blessed us with. That we cannot be thankful for the handiwork of God and what He has already done in our lives. And so this morning, I want to very quickly think about the condition of our thanksgiving. Where where is our heart? Where is our life in regards to giving thanks and praise to the Lord this morning? And I want us to look at four events in the Scripture just quickly and learn one thing from each of these events about the condition of our thanksgiving. So if you have your Bibles and you would, you'd like to turn with me, Uh, three of these will come from the Gospel of Luke. One will come from the Old Testament. So if you want to turn to the Gospel of Luke, we're going to begin in the 17th chapter this morning. 
It's an interesting story that unfolds in the life of Jesus. And, uh, and he is, is on his way to Jerusalem. And, and he was passing between Samaria and Galilee. And as he was passing through this area, there were ten lepers who stood at a distance, but they called out to Jesus. Now, there's a reason they stood at a distance. If you were a leper, you were, were it was illegal, it was against law, it was unacceptable for you to come in contact with any other human. For fear of the transition of leprosy from one to the other, the transmission of that disease. And, and so you were an outcast. You could not go into the city limits. You could not live in your home any longer or stay with your family. You were now an outcast. And that's in all likelihood why we find ten lepers together is that when they have been outcast from their family and from the city and from the dwelling of other people, they kind of come together to make their their own community, if you would, of lepers. And so these ten lepers stand at a distance and they call out to Jesus. And Jesus approaches them. And Jesus says, if you have faith to be healed, then you go and present yourself to the priest. Now, here's the interesting thing about that. Their presentation to the priest is the only time that a leper can be readmitted into his family, into his home, into the community, into interaction with other people, is if he is healed of his leprosy, and in the healing, the priest must was signify that he has been healed and that it is now acceptable for him to become a part of the community again. So the idea that Jesus says, go and present yourself to the priest, is Jesus is saying, you've already been healed. The healing has already taken place. And so they do. They begin to go and they head toward the priest, which took an act of faith. It took an act of trust that, that Jesus... In, in his saying that they would be healed, that they would be healed. And so they headed to the priest, and the Scripture says that while they were on their way, they were all healed. Every one of them. All ten of them were, were relieved of the leprosy, and they were restored. And then the Scripture takes a turn. And it says of those ten, only one came back with a thankful and grateful heart. And the Scripture says that when he arrived back, that he was praising the Lord with a loud voice. And he fell on his knees and his face to the ground at the feet of Jesus, and he worshipped him. He praised him for what he had done. And we know that Jesus goes on and says, well, wait a minute, what's the deal? He says there were ten. Is there just one who would come back and be grateful and be thankful? for what I had done in their life, and that one even a foreigner, because we know it's a Samaritan. And so Jesus asked that question. But what I want us to see this morning is that, that the Samaritan lepers and, and the events that unfolded, thankfulness leads us to worship. Thankfulness leads us to worship. This one leper was thankful for what Jesus had done in his life. He was thankful for his healing. He was thankful for being restored. And so he came back and the Scripture said he was praising God with a loud voice. He fell at the feet of Jesus with his face to the ground. And he worshipped him out of a grateful heart for what Jesus had done in his life. He was thankful for what the Lord had accomplished for him. And so thankfulness leads us to worship. Maybe, just maybe you're here today because you're thankful 
for what God has done for you in your life. If you're not, you should be. Perhaps you worship in other places. I I know there are times that I worship in my car. There are times that I worship in nature and in different places in life. And we come to those points of worship because of a thankful heart of what God has blessed us with and what God has done for us in our lives. So thankfulness leads us to worship. Second story I want us to see is over in Luke chapter 19. Over in Luke chapter 19, Jesus is passing through Jericho. As he's passing through Jericho, there is a tax gatherer. I think it's interesting. He's a chief or a master tax gatherer. That means he's one of the best. And the Scripture gives us a definition of him in regards to that. It says, and he was very rich. In other words, he really knew how to get those taxes, and he knew how to skim his part off the top, and to line his pockets, and to do everything that he needed to do for him to be rich and wealthy in his life. And so he is passing through Jericho, and there's this guy named Zacchaeus. And Zacchaeus wants to see who Jesus is. And so the Scripture defines for us, and you probably remember that story from Sunday school or church camp, whatever the case may be, that Zacchaeus was a wee little man. He was small in stature, the Scripture says. And so he ran on ahead of where he felt Jesus was going, and he climbed up in a sycamore tree for the Lord he wanted to see. That's how the song goes, right? And he's up in the tree, and he's looking down, trying to get a visual of Jesus. And as Jesus passes his way, the Scripture says that Jesus looked up in the tree, and he said, Zacchaeus, come down, for I need to be at your home today. And we sing it a little bit differently, but that's, that's what he said. I, I need to be in your house today. And the Scripture says that Zacchaeus climbed down from the tree. And that he and Jesus headed off together. And and that Zacchaeus, being in the presence of Jesus and being thankful that he recognized him and that he was headed to his home, Zacchaeus stopped in the midst of this journey and he said, Hey, listen, Jesus. He said, said, "I, I want to take half of everything I have and give it to the poor. I, I, if I have defrauded anyone, I want to give back to them four times what they what I, I defrauded them and took from them. And so thankfulness leads us to change. Thankfulness leads us to change. Look at Zacchaeus. He was a guy who was known to be a chief tax gatherer. He was a guy who was known to, to, to line his pockets. He would defraud and cheat others in order to get more for himself. He was very selfish. He was very self centered. It was all about him and what he could do for himself. But meeting Jesus and being thankful for that encounter changed his life. And in the change, he looked at Jesus, and Jesus didn't ask him for this. Jesus didn't provoke this. Jesus didn't say, hey, you need to do something about what you, you know, the, the things that you've done in your past. And so suddenly, just out of the thankfulness of his heart, Zacchaeus says, I'm going to change. Half of everything I have, I'm going to give to the poor. And then anybody that I've defrauded, I'm going to give them four times back in return. I'm going to be different than I was before. Thankfulness should lead us to change in our lives. To be different than who we used to be. To be different today than we were yesterday. To be different tomorrow than we were today. Thankful and grateful for what God has done for us in our life. And out of that thankfulness and out of that gratitude and out of that appreciation, we should change our behavior, our actions, and the things that we do.
Now, here's the third one, and this comes from the Old Testament Scripture. If you want to go back to 2 Samuel chapter 23, we'll be back to Luke in just a moment. But, it, but in 2 Samuel chapter 23, there is a story of, of, of David, King David, and, and he is on the run, and he is in hiding, and, and his son and, and his army are seeking to take his life. And the Scripture says that in their hiding and, and in this place that they are, they are dealing with the Philistines. In dealing with the Philistines, they are encamped in town. And, and, and David comes to the point, the Scripture says, that he has a craving. And the craving is that he desires to drink from the well in Bethlehem. And, and he just mentions this. He just talks about how he longs for that and what that would mean to him if he could drink from the well in Bethlehem. The Scripture says that there were three mighty men, David's warriors. And hearing their king's request, not necessarily a request, but his craving, they decided that they were going to take care of that. And so they immediately left, and they made it through the enemy lines, and they went to the well, and they retrieved water behind the enemy lines from the well at Bethlehem, and they brought it back to David. Why? Because thankfulness leads us to action. Thankfulness leads us to do something. They were thankful for their leader. They were thankful for for the vigilance that he had to to be a leader and, and to lead his people. And these mighty men had gathered around him. And their thankfulness for his leadership and, and his valor and his commitment to them and, and, and their gratitude for what he had done motivated them to action. It caused them to do something rather than just sit and go, well, the king's got a craving. The king would like to have some water from Bethlehem, but it's behind the enemy lines. It's too dangerous. It's too risky. I'm not willing to give up my life and, and die just so he can have a drink of water. You know, they didn't say that. They said, that's what my king wants. That's what my king deserves. And so they took action. I think sometimes in our life, the thankfulness or gratitude that we have in our heart should motivate or encourage us in relationship to taking action, to doing something out of gratitude for what God's blessed us with. To do something out of thankfulness for, for a response to God's blessing in our life. And so the motivation comes that out of a thankful heart, we are, are led to action. To take action, to, to do something for our King and our Master and our Lord because of what He has done for us. Brings us to the fourth and final this morning. Luke chapter 7. Luke chapter 7, the latter part of the chapter, beginning in verse 36. There's a record of the events in the life of Jesus that was a Pharisee who invited him to his home. And Jesus went to his home, and they were having a meal together. And when Jesus came into his home, and they were having a meal together, the Scripture says that they were reclining at the table, and it was the custom of that, that day that that's how they ate, and that's what they did. And so his feet were out behind him. And he was leaning forward at the table, and they were sharing a meal. The Scripture says that there was a woman who came up behind him. And from the moment he entered the, the house, that, that the tears from her face were wetting his feet. That she was wiping his feet with her hair. And that she had a vial of costly perfume, and she anointed his feet with the perfume. The Pharisees, seeing these events unfolding looks at Jesus and, and, and he's thinking to himself, 
if he really is who he says he is, if he really is a prophet, then he would know what sort of woman this is that's touching him. He would know that she's a sinner, an outcast, and unacceptable. And he wouldn't allow this to be taking place. And so, in Luke chapter 7, I want us to turn and read there a little bit, Jesus' response and what he says as these events begin to unfold, because I think they are critical to our understanding of our thanksgiving. And Jesus answered and said to him, listen to this, Simon, I have something to say to you. And he replied, say it, teacher. What is it you want to tell? He was so excited. He's going to tell me something. He says, say it. What do you want to tell me? A certain moneylender had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii, the other 50. When they were unable to repay, he graciously forgave them both. Which of them, therefore, will love him more? Simon answered and said, I, I suppose the one whom he forgave more. And he said to him, you have judged correctly. And turning toward the woman, he said to Simon, Do you see this woman? Obviously he knew he did. Obviously he knew he had already passed judgment on her. I entered your house and you gave me no water for my feet. But she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss, but she, since the time I came in, has not ceased to kiss my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she anointed my feet with perfume. For this reason, I say to you, her sins, which are many, have been forgiven. For she loved much, but he who is forgiven little loves little. And he said to her, your sins have been forgiven. I think about that exchange and those events as they unfolded in the life of Jesus and Simon and this woman, this sinful, unacceptable woman. And think about the fact that Thanksgiving leads us to sacrifice. Thanksgiving leads us to give of all that we have and all that we can, doing every bit of our ability. And she sacrificed this costly perfume. She was a sinful woman. She was unacceptable in society. This Pharisee thought if Jesus knew who she was, he wouldn't allow her in the room, let alone to touch it. And yet Jesus said she's been forgiven much, and so she loves much, and so she sacrificed greatly. So my question this morning is simply this. When's the last time, out of a grateful heart, you really sacrificed for the Lord? When's the last time you really went above and beyond and gave sacrificially. Not, I'm just not talking about money. I'm talking about of you, of yourself, of your life, that you surrendered something, you sacrificed something, you gave something, not, not just material, but you gave of yourself out of a grateful heart for what God has done for you. Because thankfulness leads us to sacrifice. And so this morning, I simply wonder, how do we say thank you? How do we express our gratitude and appreciation to the Lord for, for what He has done for us? It, is it through worship, like the leper who came back to worship? 
Is it through a changed heart and a changed life and a changed attitude like Zacchaeus who changed his life? Is it through action and the things that we do and the the life that we live because of a thankful heart to express our thankfulness through sacrifice because of the price that He paid for us? How do we say thank you to our Lord? And as we approach this, this next week or we can have as we begin to move toward Thanksgiving. I, I encourage you to begin to look at your life. Begin each and every one of us, myself included, to examine our hearts and ask ourselves the question, how are we thanking the Lord for what He's done for us? This morning we're going to sing an invitation hymn. And as we prepare to do that, possibly there's a decision on your heart. Maybe you haven't been living as thankful as you should. Maybe you haven't been expressing your gratitude through worship or your thankfulness through change or, or your appreciation to Him through, through action or, or even your thankfulness for, for the sacrifice in your life. Maybe today you want to come and say, you know what, I want to, I want to express my thankfulness more openly for others. I, I want to express my gratitude so that the Lord can know how thankful I am. Whatever decisions on your heart today, won't you come as we stand in this?